Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, and Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away from the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lovely and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and whistled and shouted, he had called them by name, now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, now Vixen, O Comet, on Cupid, on Donder, on Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all, and dry as, as dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the corsairs they flew, with full with the sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawning of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back as he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a rightful jolly old elf. And when I laughed, when I and I laughed when I saw him, in spite of myself, a wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose, and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team, gave a whistle, and they all and they and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out this out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. A visit from St. Nicholas, sometimes attributed to Clement Clark Moore.
Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the America of America podcast. Again, we are in Advent, so we're going to be covering covering Christmas topics. Uh, I hope you enjoy that reading of a visit from St. Nicholas, which was the primary introduction of modern Americans to our contemporary notion of Santa Claus, even though even Santa Claus in, well, he wasn't even called Santa Claus, he was referred to as St. Nicholas. And that poem is a far cry from the co-commercials and the mall Santas that we have now. But as we're going to see today, uh, our concepts of Santa and the predecessors of our concept of Santa is still incredibly, incredibly different. And that's what I'm hoping to cover today in this two-part series on Santa Claus. And I would like to start with the historical predecessors to Santa. So we're going to go ahead and start with that. As we've discussed in earlier episodes, Christmas has always occupied two uh, major parts in that Christmas is simultaneously a very important religious holiday, probably the second most important religious uh, Christian holiday aside from Easter. Uh, But Christmas also occupies a large part of secular culture, and it always has the the quote-unquote war on Christmas is nothing new. It's been going on for centuries and probably a millennia at this point. But the secular notions of Christmas historically have to do with the flipping of social conventions, uh, whereby something like, say, a wealthy feudal lord would have to give gifts of his best beer to his tenants, or, say, the king of England would play cards with his courtiers, and when he would play cards, the uh, the courtiers would announce that his majesty is out, meaning that the king could almost be treated like a normal person. And then when the card game was done and the revelry of Christmas was done, they announced his majesty was back in, and meaning that deference had to be given again. So that is the backdrop for all that we're talking about. You need to understand that these social conventions are in the back of everyone's mind in the development of Santa Claus. Uh, Because obviously... The notion of Santa Claus is going to be very different throughout certain times and different cultures, uh, languages, uh, religious traditions. So what I would like to do today is to talk about those predecessors uh, in the Western and Eastern Christian historical tradition. And before we can move on to next week to uh, Santa Claus as he is today. First, we have to talk about St. Nicholas of Bari, Bari. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, who is St. Nicholas. The St. Nicholas, St. Nick, that we refer to uh, as the Christian saint of, that is, Santa Claus. And St. Nick lived from the year 270 to 343, unless he, of course, he is also possibly still living in the North Pole, so he could still be living. Uh this, this saint was famous for his generosity, and one of the most famous stories as pertains to St. Nicholas's role as becoming Santa Claus was uh, saving the three daughters of a guy who could not afford dowries for his daughters. And this time, because the man could not afford dowries for his daughters, they would likely have been forced into prostitution. St. Nicholas, on hearing this, in the dead of night, threw a purse full of gold into the man's open window Sadly, apparently it was not down the chimney and thus covered these girls' dowries, saving them from prostitution. Now, St. Nicholas was also known for other miracles, including resurrecting three children that had been murdered and pickled by a local butcher, calming a storm while he was on a ship. And though this is not miraculous, I just have to throw this in there, famously slapping or punching 
the heretic Arius at the Council of Nicaea. In the Western calendar, St. Nicholas's feast day is either December 5th or December 6th. This feast day is still very popular in Germany, Netherlands, and Poland. When I was a kid in grade school at Catholic grade school, on St. Nicholas's feast day, during certain parts of class, we would leave our shoes outside the classroom and we would go get them after the class was over and there would generally be candy in those shoes, something like uh, Hershey's Kisses. Apparently in the Netherlands, the kids get carrots, which I think that's awful. That That's really very sad for those poor, poor Dutch children. But so that is the primary historical foundation of Santa Claus. St. Nick as a gift giver who would come to occupy the role of Santa Claus in American society and really most of Western Christian society. But there are different personifications of Christmas. So in England, which I focus on largely in this series because as Americans, I do think that we inherit most of our cultural and linguistic and religious traditions from England. Christmas was first personified in the 15th century in what was referred to as Sir Christmas. Uh, Sir Christmas was not a gift giver in the way that Sinterklaas, St. Nick, or Santa Claus, or even the Christkind are, but St. Sir Christmas was a personification of Christmas, which encouraged everybody to get hammered. Um, like I said, Christmas was a time for revelry, especially for the working class and the peasant class. Um, I want to jump in here and say that I think you could argue that the Green Knight of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight fame is also an embodiment of Christmas. And this is because the Green Knight only shows up at Christmas time and he is extremely merry and very into fun games. So I would like to stake my claim here that the Green Knight is also a personification of Christmas. So later on down the centuries, there would be offices like the Lord of Misrule, which we took over from the Yuletide traditions, though the Lord of Misrule was not really a personification of Christmas, but really the elective chief of merrymaking and social unrest. So obviously a very important part of the Christmas tradition, but not quite the personification of Christmas as we would understand it, or really even a gift giver other than just general rowdiness. But... The personification of Christmas in England that would take hold would be what is called Father Christmas, which is still the gift giver in those Anglo and Anglo-derived countries. Father Christmas showed up in the great religious divide of the 17th century when the Puritans began to object to the revelry of Christmas in its secular notion, in that the secular notion and the religious notion couldn't be separated. So Christmas, if it's to be observed at all religiously, it has to be Uh, austere and all of the secular revelry involved in it needs to be tamped down. So the Royalists, or even though this was probably before the Civil War at this point, so, but these types of people would be your generally mainstream Church of Englanders and supporters of King Charles. And here we would create, they would create Father Christmas to be more of a spokesman for the good old days of merriment and not only a personification of Christmas, but of a certain kind of Christmas. And though this figure would stay, it wouldn't really get popular again until the Victorian era of the 19th century, where Father Christmas became really to be seen as a representation of Merry England, Merry England being this romantic, idyllic past England that probably never actually existed, 
but as representing those old traditions of revelry and wassailing that have seemed to have been lost. And moving on from Father Christmas, we're going to go over to the Netherlands where they have Sinterklaas, which is a direct personification of St. Nicholas. And though we've already talked about the history and legend of St. Nicholas, I want to focus actually on the Companions of St. Nicholas, which are a collection of, it depends on the country you're in, people, characters, personifications, legends that accompany St. Nicholas as gift giver. Generally, it is these characters who are the possible disciplinarian if the children or the person receiving the gift has been naughty or misbehaving in the prior year. Uh, Claus has one of the most, probably the most famous uh, companion, which is Zwart Piet, which uh, translates to Black Pete or Black Peter. So this is interesting because it is generally a Dutch man or woman uh, in blackface. Uh, Zwart Piet is traditionally a Moor, which is a term for uh, North Northern African or African Muslim uh, that took over Spain in the Middle Ages until the Reconquista. Uh, Zwart Piet, uh, again, like all the companions, is the disciplinarian and carries a birch rod and would carry naughty children back to Moorish Spain. In modern times, there have been attempts to make Zwart Piet not from Spain, but rather just having darker skin because he is a chimney sweep. This seems to me to be kind of pointless because everybody basically knows so, moving on from Zwart Piet and Sinterklaas, we're going to move to the German and Alpine regions where there is a bevy of St. Nicholas companions, St. Nicholas being the primary gift giver before the Protestant Reformation and the coming of the Christkind being the gift giver, which we'll talk about next week. So, the most famous companion before the Reformation of St. Nicholas in the Alpine and German-speaking regions is, of course, Krampus. Krampus is objectively terrifying. Krampus is very scary. I don't like reading about Krampus this late at night because he legitimately gives me nightmares. Krampus is thought to be a monster that would carry birch rods and a wicker basket on his back in which he would put naughty children in there and either eat them or take them to hell, one of the two or probably both. In these German-speaking regions, the night before St. Nicholas's Day would be Krampusnacht. Now, I am starting to see why a Santa Claus in the United States does not come with companions and just gives kids coal or nothing, depending on how good or bad they are. We want to encourage good behavior and not traumatize children. And next week, we are going to move on to the modern interpretations of Santa Claus in the good old U.S. of A., where a lot of these former traditions are melded together, where we now get our Santa Claus, who, of course, is either known as Santa Claus, Kris Kringle, Santa, St. Nick, Father Christmas in modern England, as being that legendary personification of the gift bringer in Western and historically Christian countries where he gives toys to well-behaved children, coal or nothing to naughty children, though I was a bad kid and I never got coal, and the coal that I got, if well, if I were to get it, I hope would be high quality and have good resale value. 
and he had a list, checks it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. We'll just take a second to ruminate on the appropriateness of those lyrics, and Santa lives in the North Pole, where he is accompanied by his wife, Mrs. Claus, and a steady supply of chief labor with elves, who I imagine are not allowed to unionize. And he brings these gifts through the use of flying reindeer. And this is the figure that we're going to talk about next week and how these developments came in the United States of America. But with that, I hope everybody is having a good Advent. And we're going to sign off a little early tonight. And I hope that this show was informative and concrete and succinct. Again, I can be reached at uh, ChautauquaReview at gmail.com for any questions, concerns, or Uh, suggestions. And with that, this is the America of America podcast. I'm Will Milam. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.